0: He's a rider from Latvia, but made his name in cycling in the USA. He's one of the hardest working riders in the peloton with many more race days than most. His name has caused commentators, no end of confusion over his 12 year career, but we'll give you the definitive way to pronounce it in just a moment today on Bobby and Jens. Hello. Or should I say Svege and welcome, Tom Squenge to Bobby and Yens. Hi <laughs> Hi, I'm just still uh,
1: smiling about your snake pronunciation.
0: Uh, well, that one was the one I was least scared of. I need you to pronounce your last name for me once and for all. Did I get it right or even close? Yeah, I was close. Uh, so the the way to pronounce it is Koinch. So the, we don't
1: pronounce the S.
2: It's squeeze.
1: Squeege.
0: Squeeze. Well, hopefully I won't have to say that last name. I'm just going to call you Tom's the rest of the time. But uh, man, oh man, you have been racing a lot so far this year. Uh, you just returned from Belgium. And let's just say the weather was less than ideal. Um, I never did those races, but, you know, hard men hard classic men do you guys actually prefer when the weather is like that or do you prefer when it's nice and dry
1: uh i mean i can only speak for myself obviously uh but i definitely do quite well in uh bad conditions i think uh uh, it's just the upbringing that i have and then i do pretty horribly usually in hot conditions i've uh kind of worked on it, uh, the last few years and I've gotten better at it. But I think that, um, uh, with a lot of riders, there's one conditions they prefer, uh, over another, uh, and I'm definitely one that prefers, uh, I, I rather have an extra Jersey on or leg warmers on to begin. And then re- as, as I heat up, as we race, take layers off, then, uh, be already unzipped Jersey from the start and trying to cool down with ice everywhere as much as I can
2: well maybe try to specify that a little more because I had a lot of good results in cold bad conditions as well I never liked it but it affected me less than the others my body was able to work in it and my mind I was less afraid or less negative about it is it the same with you or you go no it's rain and I just love it
1: uh I mean Rain, I do love, but maybe not the temperatures that are associated with rain a lot, especially not last weekend. Uh, I mean, I I feel like the rain has a certain smell even, and uh, it's kind of nice. I mean, I don't want it to be pissing down like the roads are turning into rivers, but uh, a little rain here and there, I I do really enjoy. I feel like it just gives also the nature a bit life, a bit more life and after rain you always see a bit more green grass everywhere and it's quite quite nice
0: well you know we all saw the images we all saw the multiple times riders would have to go back and switch clothes and as i was watching the race i started laughing when they were talking about the air quote mud on the road and anyone that's ever raced up in belgium knows that that's not just mud (laughs) have you been able to get all the the Belgian mud out of your ears and every crevice of your body. I mean, it looked miserable out there.
1: Yeah, I mean, already Wednesday when we raced the Panne, uh, we raced on some small roads where mud mixes with car manure and uh, it's not the most healthy. And obviously you take in quite a bit of spray also just in your mouth while you're trying to breathe as hard and the spray from the back wheel of the guy in front of you is coming everywhere. Uh, so actually, I, I do feel like that is a thing that happens and my stomach was not loving it the next few days. Uh, but somehow Ghent went better in theory. But at the same time, yeah, the cold conditions, uh, cold and rainy conditions really made made it challenging. And I'm sure that I'm not the only one that's a bit under the weather afterwards.
2: Um, Talking about being under the weather, your voice is just a little rough or husky. Um, will that affect your race program in the coming days or weeks, or you just race as your program says?
1: Uh, I mean, I currently, I don't know. Uh, I am we're on a Tuesday, and I and, and I am supposed to race Sunday Tour of Flanders. Um, I've been not feeling great. I have a cough. Uh, that's probably why. I, the voice is a bit uh, lower and a bit more deep. Um, so, I don't know. We'll have to see how actually how I feel tomorrow. Uh, I think tomorrow is the deciding day, kind of, uh, if I feel better. Because uh, I didn't actually ride for two days, if I'll be, feel better or not. Um, but my program, actually, lately has changed quite a bit. I was not supposed to do Ghent, then I did Ghent. Uh, then I was supposed to do, actually, Basque Country, uh, if you guys heard of that race. Uh, they took me out of that one, uh, to do Flanders because they kind of overlap even if they don't necessarily overlap, but you cannot really do both because we're not in the eighties anymore. Um, cause guys, guys used to do that, right? <laughs> do Flanders, fly to Basque, do Basque and then race Roubaix. Uh, but that's, uh, it's, uh, something has changed a little bit, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll see, uh. I will not be surprised to actually skip Flanders uh, because, again, I mean, even if... We'll see. We'll, at the end of the day, the team will make the call because I'm also not the only one under the weather. We have a bunch of injured riders as well. Uh, so maybe we need someone to actually just start the race. Hopefully not. Hopefully there's someone that can actually start the race in, with a goal to finish um, <laughs> as well. But, uh, yeah, I mean, unless, uh, unless I feel significantly better the next two days, then... Uh, then I probably will not start Flanders.
0: Well, we wish you the, the best on your recovery. I mean, that's uh, pretty hard to suffer in the conditions like that and then um, get ramped up after a couple of days off the bike and do it again the following weekend. But listen, I'm sure we'll get back to more of the bike racing stuff here in a second. But I really wanted to ask you about your upbringing in Latvia. I believe that you're our first Latvian guest, and I know you wear that national championship jersey every year that you win it quite proudly. So can you tell us a little bit about growing up in Latvia? You know, were you always a cyclist? Were there other sports involved? You know, just a little bit of info for our listeners of your beautiful country.
1: Yeah, I mean, so for the people that do not know, Latvia is quite far north. Uh, like as in Canada north uh, and not just like Canada on the US border north, but like even further up. So the winters are quite harsh. Uh, Even this year we had like minus 26 Celsius uh, one morning when we were racing Torino, so it definitely made me feel good to be in Italy instead of uh, back home. Um, So cycling is not a major sport in Latvia, obviously. With winters like that, it's not really uh, something people do uh, and as a, when growing up, uh, you rode your bike around to get around, but it was not necessarily, yeah, a sport that came to my mind. And I only started cycling when I was 15, uh, which is fairly late, I guess, for most people, uh, and I really didn't follow cycling as a professional sport until I was like maybe 19 even. Um, so yeah, uh, it's definitely a bit of a different. Uh, place that I'm coming from than most cyclists, I would guess.
2: So when you didn't follow cycling as a sport as a younger kid, what was the sport you followed as a kid? Skiing, figure skating, ice skating, speed skating, or uh, football, like soccer? Uh,
1: I mean, football is quite big in Latvia, but I never got into it. It's still not really a sport I follow too much or, I don't know, not necessarily like it. Uh, but probably the most followed sport and the one I follow the most and still do is actually ice hockey. Uh, ice hockey is probably, even though it's maybe not the most participants, just because, I mean, you need quite a lot of investment, uh, to play ice hockey, uh, both gear wise and just location wise and so on and so forth. But I think probably most Latvians grow up playing some sort of ice hockey or at least ice skating on, uh. The local pond in the winter and that's how i grew up uh i definitely was skating a lot more than riding a bike in my early days and uh yeah i, I mean i still do enjoy following both nhl uh and just the Latvian national team uh and for a country of two million we're doing quite well
0: yes you are um when we had quinn simmons on the podcast earlier in the year he told us that he played a lot of hockey over the offseason um, hockey and cycling, let's face it, are totally different sports. What do you enjoy about it, number one? And number two, who is the best cyclist that you know who plays hockey? Um, or the best hockey playing cyclist, I guess I would hockey say.
1: Hockey playing cyclist. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely is quite different. However, there is an overlap in injuries. Uh, collar go- collarbones also get broken in ice hockey when someone puts you in the boards too hard uh, but it's definitely a different body type right um, but I think that uh, what I really like about hockey is just that I mean we talk about cycling as sort of an individual sport but also a team sport and I do like the team aspect of it uh, but I also like just the skill and endurance that is required uh, similarly that's why I have a lot of respect for biathletes as in winter biathletes where they skate ski skate and shoot uh which is just i mean a huge endurance effort but at the same time you have to be very precise Um, and i mean hockey yeah it looks cool it's fast the game is quick the game is interesting to watch um yeah so that's probably what has attracted me uh, and just the ability to, when I was a kid, go to the local pond and shoot the pucks around. Uh, as for a cyclist that plays hockey, uh, I don't know. There's quite a few. There's quite a few good ones. Uh, I mean, Mike Woods used to play. Quinn used to play. Um, I used to play. And uh, Ben Perry, actually, from Human Rights Health, he's played with the Belgian national team. He told me once, uh, just like for fun. Um, and then, yeah, so there's uh, there's quite a few. Obviously, it's probably more uh, in the North Americans and Northern Europeans uh, than other countries that ice hockey might be a, another skill that cyclist, a cyclist might have.
2: I think Jans Vorada,
1: a former Czech sprinter, quite a good
2: one one stages, I think, in all Grand Tours. I think he was pretty good at hockey. He's from the Czech Republic. Well, now it's, uh, uh, yeah, Czech Republic. Um, but now, um, if you had any pictures of sporting heroes on your wall as a kid, would it be a hockey player? Or what sort of posters would you have on your uh, on your walls yeah. back th- yeah, in the I days?
1: Had this, there was only one uh, that I recall at least. And it was of Martin Broder. Uh, the ice hockey goalie from New Jersey Devils number 30 um i don't know why oh, i mean i know why i i really admired him as an athlete but um yeah it's it's uh, it was not a big poster it was just a little like trading card size picture um i might still have it actually
0: yeah man you got to keep that sort of stuff you should come up into my attic and see all the stuff <laughs> i have from when i was uh your age back in the day but hey listen you know i started racing in you know the the 90s and in the mid 90s early 90s the latvia national team used to come to the usa to do races like the tour de pont right they had some really good riders back then and they looked very well supported what is the development of new young riders in latvia look like these days
1: Actually, that's true. Like, even though I say that cycling is not a big sport in Latvia, um, because, I mean, we were part of Soviet Union, sport was, I mean, a priority, a big priority in the country. Uh, and there's quite a few track cyclists. We had a lot of good track cyclists, like world medalists, if I recall correctly. Um, some guys were super close to Olympic medals as well, also on the road. Um But uh, yeah, when I was growing, I mean, it's still not a mainstream sport, nowhere near, but it definitely is like a sport that has history in Latvia, even if it's not long or whatever, but at one point, I think we used to have like three uh, velodromes, but unfortunately after the collapse of Soviet Union, they kind of got, I mean, either torn down or let let to rot because obviously there were wooden tracks. Um, so actually right now we have zero, uh, which is quite unfortunate, especially with the winters we have. Uh, so that's kind of why, one of the reasons I think why Latvian cycling is not maybe growing as fast as it could, but every year, every time I'm back in Latvia, I see more and more people riding bikes and we have quite a few big, like mountain bike races that attract like 2000 people on the start line and stuff. Uh, so there's definitely places where people can race bikes and ride bikes. Uh, but there's, yeah, maybe a bit more support right now lacking in the development side, because say when I was growing up, we had a continental team for under 23 riders that pretty much every single pro, uh, went through and now there's not, so guys are trying to go to France, uh, finding, finding French clubs. And uh, yeah, some are riding for an Estonian uh, continental team, so there's there's paths, but there's definitely not a uh, well structured path for kids to take, unfortunately.
2: Um, from I mean, uh, I'm an outside observer, but it seems like your economy is doing okay. So would there be like some financial support possible from the government or some company sponsorships? You have any? ID or contacts or how, how it could happen? I mean, building a track, that's millions and millions, but a smaller team, a youth development team, maybe that's not so expensive. You you see any chance there that that any company back home would support cycling? or?
1: I mean, yeah, there, there's always been talk, or not always, for the last five years or so, there's been talk about the velodrome and where we could build it, who could we get funding from, and so on and so forth. So there's... There's definitely an effort there to try and build it uh, so that it is accessible for a good amount of the population. And so there's kids that can also ride bikes, not only in the summer and not only in the winter on the indoor trainers, but also on the track, because I mean, it's a great skill uh, developer racing on the track, getting a good pedal stroke and just all the nuances that come with it. Um, And yeah, I mean, you're right. It does take just one sponsor to put a team together. And that was the case for a long time Uh, when I was younger, we had one bank that was the main sponsor and uh, they were, I don't know how long, but it was quite a long time. And yeah, I mean, that really helped for the kids to have like somewhere to aim for. And then from there to get a springboard onto the pros.
0: And you know, Having a less than easy way into the pro peloton, um, I remember you coming over here and racing with the Hincapie Sportswell, Sportswear development team in 2014. How did that come about?
1: Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like, so a lot of us just try and find ways to get uh, get anywhere, just even a smaller step up uh, from Latvia to get. The possibility to race in bigger races and, and get recognized and race against the big guys and so on. Um, and, um, at the time you also had, I mean, Axel's Merck's team is still around. Um, and one, of, one of the Libyan guys was Anch was on it and, um, uh, thus he knew Reed McAlvin and Reed actually was the one that suggested Thomas Craven, the director at the time. Uh, of Hincapie, uh, to take me on board and he gave me the opportunity and yeah I spent two years two great years with uh, the Hinkapi squad um,
2: you lived in the US back then right and how did that work was a green card or you have some sort of dual citizenship or just on a working visa or h- how would that work because you come from a long long way yeah right?
1: uh, I had a uh, athlete's visa uh, I can't remember the name Uh, Or the, it was like P1 or something like this, but I mean, whatever athletes, musicians, performers, artists, uh, they all can get a visa like that. And for both years I had a one year long visa, so I could stay longer than 90 days because I mean, as Europeans, we can go over for 90 days at a time, but then have to leave for 90 days. And obviously with racing, that's uh, quite impossible. But, uh, yeah, I lived actually where Bobby lives right now in Greenville, South Carolina, or at least most of the year I lived there, uh, while in the U S. Uh, but obviously we had also altitude training camps, So I got to visit a lot of cool places in the U S while, uh, while racing for the, that team.
0: What is your favorite state over here in the U S? Uh,
1: well, probably Colorado. <laughs> uh, my wife's from there and, uh, yeah, I have good memories, not just because of her, but also that uh, that probably helps. <laughs> and I would probably sleep on the couch here if I said any other thing. Uh,
2: before we go further in um, uh, the future or your racing and so on, I have a question about the old days. Probably Bobby as well raced with people like Arvis Pizzix, I think Dainese Ozols, and a third guy called Ozas. Ozas. They were just killing it. They were so good. They came to a lot of races in Germany we had here, you know, in their national kid jersey, like your championship jersey, the same colors. And um, they were really, really good. Whatever happened to them? What what, what are they doing these days? I mean,
1: Arvis might have been your teammate on CSC because he spent a few years there, no? Yeah, I think we just missed
2: by one year or two. I think he left and I came
1: in. But yes, you're
2: right. He was there. Yeah,
1: Arvis is... is is one of the guys actually when I started like knowing about uh Latvian cycling, he was the guy I looked up to. Um, uh, the year George won, uh, George Hincapie won uh, Ghent, he got fourth, he got screwed there a little bit. Uh, but uh, yeah, he he still is in cycling, he's still involved. He lives in a town called Valmir outside of Riga, uh, maybe an hour drive or so uh has helps with the club team there actually has a pizza restaurant sort of thing or like a traveling pizza oven thing uh but he's still yeah he's still involved in cycling he still loves it or rides a little bit every once in a while he shows up to a race but really that's well i haven't seen in a long time but when i was younger he did and uh he yeah, he always used to say that he's raced enough and he doesn't need to race. But every once in a while, he would still show up and uh, be there. But yeah, the the other two guys as well, Kaspers uh, and uh, Dines Ozols, Kasper Sozer, Dines Ozzles, uh they both uh, yeah were also big, big Lavian cycling stars for sure.
0: Well, you've raced all around the world and. You know, you seem to enjoy it every time. There's a picture of you. You know, you're goofing around. You got a smile on your face. Everyone loves you. What What is your favorite race? I mean, you do stage races, you do classics. You're over here in the states. You're over there in Europe. You, where? What is your favorite race? Like when the calendar is put out, you're like, yes, I want to go do that.
1: Uh, well, probably when the, these races used to still happen, uh, both USA Pro Challenge and Tour of California were were the races I would want to go to, uh, because, I mean, it was just a different change of pace from uh, racing in Europe. Uh, And I mean, I race in Europe 90% of the time. So at that point it was like nice to experience something different, but actually my issue is that I like racing too much and uh, (laughs) I can, uh, the thing is I'm sort of a rider that is good at everything, but not great at anything. So they can put me in any race and I uh, I will do well. I will be able to help the team. I will not just be there to start a race. And that's why, like I was mentioning before, my calendar got changed from Racing Basque Country, which is a very different race to Flanders. Uh, just like, yeah, last week. So, um...
2: You don't know any further plans here Giro or Tour de France, or is there like something you could uh, tell us further down this year?
1: Uh, I mean, actually right now we are, I I originally wanted to do the Giro because I've never done it, (coughs) excuse me, but uh, currently the plan is to aim for the tour, obviously you you both know that... uh, it's not going to the Tour for most mortals. It's more about trying to get selected first and then going to the Tour. Uh, but if suddenly a Giro spot opened up, I would be happy to do it as well.
2: Um, you're 31 years old now. You, I think you could do the double. I mean, you're grown up, proper professional cyclist. Maybe that would be good for you to do both of them. I mean, uh, I have done it and it it, it helps. I ever thought about that? Or you go, no, 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 I'm just one grand tour per year type? I would
1: like to do two for sure uh at some point. I'm not sure I would like to do the Giro tour because uh, that seems like the toughest one to do. Um But yeah, I'm definitely open to the possibility of doing both, but I don't think it's this year or the next just because of uh Worlds and Olympics being where they are right now. Um Because this year Worlds are in August and Olympics are in... August next year. Uh, and yeah, I mean, those are always nice races to do because like you guys say, I get to put on the national team colors. Um, so it's always nice to do those. And I think that it's a high risk of do- if I'm doing Giro Tour suddenly that uh, come August, I am uh, more able to sleep on the couch than ride a bike.
0: We'll be back after this short break. Part of... Being able to race as consistent as you do, you have to be good at training, right? And you seem to be very dialed in with your training. I remember you posting some some things about taking lactate tests on the side of the road by yourself. Um, how much more specific has your training gotten uh, from just over the last couple of years?
1: Yeah, I think it was three years ago that... Uh... I decided that riding over 30,000 kilometers every year is great, but there's not really much more I can do there. And I mean, the reason why I ride so much is because I enjoy it. And, um, I enjoy riding the bike, even though like, yeah, we ride it so much that I started to think that I need to, yeah, I need to really dial it down be more specific a little bit with my training. And that's when I got the lactate meter and since then for sure I do A bit more lactate testing let's not say crazy amounts more but uh, there's definitely time and a place for it and uh, i think it's better to train smarter not harder as they say um
2: train smarter where do you think you need to improve or where do you want to improve max power sprint power endurance um your threshold what do you train specifically
1: Uh, Well, so with the lactate meter, I've had quite good success in uh, improving my like one to five minute power Um, and thus like one to five, I'm talking more about, uh, yeah, like uh, the bigger improvements have been seen there. Uh, But obviously when you improve five minutes, also 10 and 20 minutes improve. Uh, So overall, actually every year there is progress in every dimension maybe except my max sprint, but that's still as good as it was five years ago. Uh, And I think that the fresher you are at the end of races, the better the sprint will be. So it's not necessarily, unless you're a big sprinter, it's not necessarily something you really need to focus on. Uh, But if you just can have better fitness and yeah, finishing the race at less of a fatigue, then you will be one, making the right decisions because I'm not gonna be beating Cavendish and uh, Philipson and uh, Jacobson, all those guys in the sprint anyway. So uh, that's never gonna be, it's never in my genes, so it's never gonna happen. But uh, yeah, when there's smaller groups, there's always also possibilities for attacks. And if your brain's functioning better because you're just feeling fresher in the bind, then, uh, then anything can happen always in the final.
0: I'm gonna ask both of you this question. What is your favorite workout in training? What is the one that when it pops up on your schedule you realize, you're just like, oh, yeah, that I got this.
1: Mine is probably just an endurance ride. <laughs> just a long, long, long endurance ride. But at the same time, that doesn't mean... I mean, just because I think it's... Not because it doesn't happen often, but because uh, you, I do a lot of times have quite a bit of structure in my training. And thus, when you have just a long endurance ride, you really don't need to think about... Like, oh, okay, I'm going to do this effort here, that effort there, this effort on that climb, this effort on that flat. You can just go out, explore, run into random rows that have never been used before by a bike rider and just explore more, uh, have that freedom. But at the same time, yeah, there's a few few really hard sessions that uh, when they are on the menu and you execute them well, then you come back with a very nice satisfaction of a job well done on the day.
0: And you, Mr. Specificity Jens Vogt, what was your favorite workout from back in the day? Um, I like the classic Bjarne
2: 4020s because they, they suited me. They were, they were hard, but not too hard. But the one where I did profit the most, where the sitting, standing, you were so bloody hard. Like being out of the seat for three minutes, then two minutes, then one minute, at 100 reps per minute, uphill. Your lected is just up to your ears. Your heart rate is like skyrocketing. They were super hard, but they really did help me a lot. But I hated them.
0: Yeah, you just answered my favorite and my least favorite right there. <laughs> the 40-20s were, were it. I think to this day, it's still one of those magic workouts. But yeah, the sitting, standing, ugh, never want to um, prescribe that. Yeah, again. especially at
1: uh, 100 RPMs. I've done a few of those where... You do 100 RPMs out of the saddle and it's uh, even for 30 seconds, it's already quite excruciating and your heart rate goes sky high.
2: So glad we're all in the same boat. I like that fact. There's like probably 50 years in between us, but we're still in the same boat. That is just great. <laughs> um, so, Tom, um, you mentioned it yourself. Latvia has about 2 million, 1.9 million people living there. When you uh, get out of a plane at the airport or you go to the movies, you get recognized on the streets because, I mean, you know, you must be one of the the bigger sports persons in your home country, don't you?
1: Uh, That's the great thing about Latvia. Cycling is not big. So I really, I can go home and not worry about anyone recognizing me. Sure, yes, there's if I go close to a bike race or ride some roads that cyclists are on, sure, people will recognize me. But at the same time, if I'm walking down the street in Riga, probably no one will. And I get more recognized in Colorado than I get in uh, in Latvia, which is great uh, for me when I go home and no one gives it.
0: Well, with so many days on the road, you know, you're spending a lot of time with your teammates, with your competitors. Um, What do the riders talk about in the peloton other than racing? you know, in the Peloton at the dinner table. I mean, what are the cool kids talking about? What are the the interests of the current Peloton these days?
1: I mean, you have to ask the cool kids. I'm not in that club.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're on this podcast, so you got to be one of the cool kids. Uh, I mean,
1: I think a lot of times, uh, actually, this is actually quite funny. Yeah. So it, people have pictures they like to show, um, People have pictures on their phones. They like to show other people. And depending on the age, depending on where they are, it's either how the house building is going on, how their dog is doing, how their kids are doing, what new watch they bought or what new car they bought. Those are pretty much the five things people – like whenever someone is showing something on their phone, they're like, oh, yeah, look. And everyone thinks it's the coolest thing ever and everyone's like, oh, yeah, isn't this – picture of my dog, super cute. Oh yeah, this house that I'm building, you see uh, there I'm gonna put the garage and that's where the bikes are gonna be and this and that. It's always uh, quite funny how those things work and then a lot of times people flock together, like people that like fancy watches will show each other, oh yeah, which watch are you buying next or whatever. It's uh, it's an observation I actually recently, not that I recently saw it, but that it recently came to my mind that that's actually quite true.
2: I guess I would tick the box with the kids, you know, what they do. Hey, that's the first bike. Hey, that's the first bike ride of the kids. Um, probably uh, the house, the garden. Um, but Bobby mentioned that you spent a lot of time on the road and racing and training camps. Has your wife ever a chance to travel with you, to come to Europe, to be there between the races? Or you often go home to Colorado to see her? Uh, How are you two coping with you being traveling
1: so much? Uh, I mean, we found a place in Europe that is uh, still in Europe, but sort of Colorado-ish, which is Andorra. Uh, We moved here a few years ago. Uh, We can walk out of our apartment and walk out in ski boots and get on the ski slope. slope. And she grew up skiing, so it's been a great thing for her. And I've actually just really enjoyed the mountains and uh, e- even though Latvia is dead flat, I think maybe that's actually why I enjoy the mountains so much um, that, yeah, we found a good balance, but yeah, for sure. There's still, still a lot of travel involved and still a lot of times uh, we miss each other for two weeks, three weeks. I mean, if you're doing a grand tour, it's uh, four weeks, maybe more, uh, especially last year, because we had our first uh, baby last year and she had to stay um home while i traveled to nationals which she usually comes with and then from nationals i went straight from the to the tour so it was pretty much uh it was actually going to be like five weeks um and my daughter when i left was like five weeks so it would have been half her life that i was gone (laughs) which is uh yeah quite rough to think about it but uh luckily the rest day was in Carcassonne, which was close by. So my wife could come and, uh, yeah, I could hang out for a little bit at least. Um, so, I mean, long story short, for sure it's not easy for her to travel to races, but every once in a while it happens and it's always super nice when, when that works out.
0: And due to the fact that you travel so much, is there any must-have that you always have to have in your, your suitcase or your your backpack when you on these trips?
1: Uh, I actually think that it's probably a good thing I don't have a must have because that just gives you less uh, dependence on things like people travel with their coffee things and then if they don't have a good coffee, they're miserable the whole day. But uh, I do pretty much always travel with a big mug, uh, a big insulated mug so I can make tea because I prefer Tea over coffee, and I drink tea most daily, uh, versus coffee is occasionally when there's no tea. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so I travel with a big tea mug because a lot of hotels have just small little tea mugs, uh, that are might as well be shot mugs. And I also do travel with some tea, some good tea with me. So
2: when you drink tea, um, what would be your favorite breakfast then before a race? Just the usual um, cereals or do you, you have anything special there? And second part, what is your favorite after-race meal?
1: Uh, I mean, if for actually for the big races, I really don't mess around much. It's usually just uh, white rice and an omelet and a few bits and pieces of some other things. Uh, just because it's, I mean, it's rocket fuel. It's dense, calorie dense, carb dense uh, foods that don't make your stomach digest them too long and you have the energy when you need it. Uh, So it's quite boring. Uh, But a post-race meal is maybe a bit more interesting because especially after one day, you can allow yourself to have something a bit more that's maybe not, doesn't digest in the next two hours. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, a good burger, uh, with some, some, some sort of potato form is, uh, is always welcome.
0: Yep. Nutrition is everything. We ha- recently had Hannah Grant, who is a, um, a chef and has the Grand Tour cookbook out that, uh, she said she was going to send us Jens. Have you gotten yours in yet? no but uh, shame on me
2: I don't think I even sent her my uh, postal address so probably half of it is on me that I haven't got it yet
1: with one of you guys I could help out because I have two of those
0: oh there you go you're well prepared I need some new ideas man it's a a really good cookbook
1: we have quite a selection of cookbooks but that's definitely one we come back to uh, quite often
0: I don't know why this just popped into my head because it's quite, um, awkward, but I remember like we'd walk into the team hotels or you'd see a guy at the airport, you know, go into the race. And there was always that kind of like awkward moment where you didn't really know what to say. And it was something like, oh, hey, how's the form or, hey, you look skinny, um, it was just one way to start a conversation, and you didn't really care about the answer. You were just, you know, it'd be better than just ignoring the person. Um, what is it like with you guys in the Peloton nowadays? Is Because it seems like everybody is so into the specificity. Everyone is so dialed in. Are you guys able to still hang out and and have fun, or is everyone just you know, measuring their grams of carbohydrates and, and looking at their, their phone all the time.
1: Uh, well, there's definitely some of that still around. And the other question you forgot about is like, Oh, what race are you doing next? Or what races were you just doing? Yes. Uh, that's kind of the usual like opener. and, And I mean, sometimes the conversation ends there, right? Uh, there's guys, you know, better there's guys you don't, uh, don't get along with maybe even, and uh, yeah, there's there's guys that uh, you get along quite well. Like for example, just well, not just above me, but above me and one door over lives Teo, and with him actually we have quite a lot of interesting conversations. Um, and there's a few other guys like that that uh, you can have like proper conversations. Be that about cycling, but be that also about just other sports or. Uh, life in general or whatever. Uh, but yeah, for sure, the more you see the people, see the other riders, and the more you actually, I don't know, spend time riding with them when training, uh, the more in-depth conversations you have. But a lot of times, yeah, it's uh, quite the same questions you guys did were, how's the form? How's the legs? Uh, what races are you doing next? And uh, that's where the conversation ends. Um,
2: looking at uh, TV now, as a commentator, um I have the feeling there's just not much time to talk anymore in races. Well, two reasons. First, every team gets, taught or gets told, gets told, sorry, gets told, stay together, stay together. So you can always have this inbreed conversation with the teammates you just saw at breakfast, right? Second, races are much harder and much more open, right? There, there's attacks in the middle towards the end, in the wind, on the mountains, on the downhills. So racing is more exciting, but probably for you guys, more nerve-wracking. And is it true that every team rides together as a block? Is not much interference between the teams. Is that a correct observation? Yeah, it is a very good
1: observation. Um, there's definitely a lot of that. And I guess the bigger the race, the more of that there is uh the more hectic the race the more of that there is uh and yeah there's not many tour stages where you can you can catch up with someone and uh yeah because everyone is trying all the teams are trying to save as much energy as possible they're all riding one line and when you're riding one line you can't even talk to your teammates because they're either behind you or in front of you and you end up just screaming in order to kind of have a conversation uh so there's definitely definitely a lot less of that uh, but like you say, yeah, it makes the racing more exciting. Um, for sure. Uh, it makes the racing more nerve wracking for us as well. Uh, but there's definitely still a time and a place for a good old banter conversation, uh, every once in a while.
0: Toms, you've been on your team, Trek Segre Fredo, for a couple of years now, and I hate to admit it, but more and more, the older I get, the less and less people I recognize on these rosters. You know, I'm not in the day-to-day operations anymore. I don't watch the races as intensely as I used to. But there's one young rider on your team um, that you're going to have to help me with his last name. But Matthias, he's won a couple race, races this year, the the young Danish kid. Um, yeah, Ske- Skelmos Jensen. Skelmos Jensen. Okay, tell me a little bit about this guy because we seem to have a lot of Danish riders on the podcast and, you know, Denmark is... is is obviously a, a force to be reckoned with um around the world but I never heard of this kid and then he pops off and he wins a couple races already this year um tell me a little bit about him and maybe your interactions with him so far yeah he
1: uh, he had a few wins already last year and uh he's definitely a very motivated young guy uh he takes his training seriously uh sometimes i think maybe too seriously but that's the young kid's ambition that uh, is hard to stop. But uh, luckily he has some good people around him that remind him uh, that not every workout needs to be uh, exactly five hours and not a minute more, a minute less. Um, and one of them is actually his Danish compatriot, Miss Pettersson, uh, who takes takes care of him as well and makes sure he's... he's uh, on the right path. But, uh, yeah, Matias is very humble, uh, but at the same time, very driven. And, uh, he definitely has uh, a lot of talent and a lot of drive to be good. Um, uh, unfortunately, yeah, he had some, uh, he had a pretty bad crash in Pernice, but <coughs> excuse me, he's uh he's a proper bike racer. He's, uh, he is not scared to r- race his bike. He's not just about riding a bike, riding a bike, but he's he's also ready to race and take on challenges and never scared to back down.
2: So, l- looking down or looking ahead further this season, what would make this season a good or great season for you? Um, helping somebody else win something big and winning yourself. I give you two options: your total dream option of this year and a realistic option for this year?
1: Oh, a dream option. How far can we shoot? (laughs) Uh, Go deep. uh, A dream option this year would actually be to win a stage in a Grand Tour and get a medal at Worlds. I think those are the two goals personally that I really would would enjoy. Uh, A more realistic... I mean, I don't think either of those are out of out of the possibility of options. Um, but the stars really need to align for it to happen. Um but yeah, while while being with Trek, uh I have been part of our last two monuments, uh monument wins. I've been part of all our tour stage wins, I've been part of uh Tour de France Podium with Richie. And actually, one of the things in my career that is maybe a bit out of the ordinary, but I would really like to finish the tour with a yellow jersey on the team. Obviously, it's never going to be on my shoulders in Paris, but uh, it will be, I think it will be something very special to have it on the team rolling in the champs.
0: I think Jens, you've done that with Carlos Sastra. The only time I would I, I definitely didn't do that in the Tour de France. We were there when Ivan Basso won the, the Giro in 2006, but yeah, I can only imagine. And then there's guys like George Hincapie who's done it, done that, what, nine times or something like that. You know, he's got a hog it, all the fun stuff. But um, Tom's, you know, Trek is a big organization. It's got a women's team. It's got a men's team. Do do you guys and gals ever get together and and ride? I mean, if you're up there in Andorra and there's another, you know, woman from the Trek Segafredo uh, team up there, do you do you guys ever uh, intermingle and ride together? The men's and the women's team? Do they try to promote that? We
1: actually have all our training camps together, uh, or I mean, I guess not all. Main training camps are together for both men and women, both uh, the November fun camp and, uh, or October fun camp, I guess, uh, but also like the December camp and January camp, it's uh, it's always held together. And we stay with the ladies, like for now, for the classics, we stay in the same hotel. So actually we intermingle quite a lot and I have quite a few good relationships with the girls uh, as well, because my wife used to ride and she knows them, knows a few of them. so. Uh, they keep in touch, and thus I also get squeezed into those conversations. Uh, one of our te- my teammates, Brody Chapman, actually is looking at a place that uh, is in Andorra that she would be my neighbor, uh, pretty much. Uh, so there's definitely yeah, there's definitely a connection there, and it's not like two separate teams. They're very very intertwined. Both also even our staff. Some of the staff work both teams. Like sometimes with the men, sometimes with the women. One year with the men, one year with the women. So uh, there's some stuff that is dedicated, but some stuff that uh, flip-flop, let's say.
2: Did you follow um, the Women's Tour de France uh, last year? I mean, it was a huge success. Like I I was a little overwhelmed how well it was received by the public on the road. You know, TV coverage, the racing was fantastic and thrilling. Did you follow that a a little bit and did you see that coming before or you were also, wow, that is much better and bigger than I thought? Uh,
1: I definitely followed it. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I know quite a few lady riders as well uh, and that's kind of the reason why as well because, I mean, when you see friends racing, it's hard to turn the TV off. Uh, But I agree with you. I did not expect it to be so big and so well-received. before that, they always had that Tour de France one-day race, whatever, uh, that was kind of boring. Or not boring, but like, I mean, it was not what they they wanted, needed, that they deserved. But now that it was proper week-long stage race, it was, uh, it was, yeah, really cool to see.
0: I want to talk a little bit more about Latvia because I did some research on, on Latvia. And some of the interesting things that I wanted to confirm with you is... Latvia's flag is one of the oldest in the world. Um, Latvian women are the tallest in the world. Latvians love to sing and dance. The first Christmas tree was decorated in Latvia in 1510. And Latvian is one of the oldest European languages. Are all those things uh, correct-ish? They're definitely correct-ish. I am not
1: 100%. One thing I'm not 100% sure is the... Uh, that the wo- Latvian women are the tallest. I think maybe it's the Dutch, but maybe I'm thinking about population in general. Uh, but either way, it's quite close. But it's yeah, it's true that the first Christmas tree was in Latvia. It's true that uh, the Latvian flag is one of the oldest that's written about. Um, like, the color red is actually uh, the color of blood, in theory. So this the legend goes that one of the uh, warriors was put on a white sheet of uh, just a white sheet and he bled out both sides and that's why the middle is white but the sides are blood and that's what they used to go in battle the next day or whatever um, that's the like quick quick story about uh, the flag but uh, and speaking of the song singing and dancing um, it is quite big and actually this year uh, is when Latvia holds the song and dance festival that's held every five years in late June, early July. And I mean, uh, people should YouTube, YouTube search uh, Latvian song and dance festival. Uh, and it is quite something. There's like sometimes thousands of people on a, on a football field doing the same dance and making all kinds of patterns. And yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely something I've not seen anywhere else in the world.
2: since we are back in, in Latvia, can you do probably our listeners, but also myself a favor and say in your own language, something
1: easy, like my name
2: is Tom Screens and I'm born and raised in Latvia.
1: Can you say that in your own language? name is Latvia.
2: Wow. That is really far from Germany <laughs> or from English. Awesome.
1: Thank you. No, I mean, it's true. Like, Latvian and Lithuanian are two languages from, like, the Baltic chain of languages. Uh, if you look at a map, you I mean, people always know that uh, Norwegian and Swedish are quite similar. Finnish and Estonian is quite similar. And Latvian and Lithuanian are also quite similar in that way. Uh, but, yeah, it's definitely a language that uh, is quite far from others.
0: Well, I also see that you guys have the fifth fastest internet speed in the world. So I don't know how you guys have a better internet than we have over here in the US, but uh, maybe send, send, uh send some help over here because uh when i upload my file every day for this podcast it takes forever but toms listen thank you so much for spending time with us today we wish you all the best in your convalescence back to health uh whatever race that may be and the entire rest of the 2023 season thanks
1: guys thanks for having me and hopefully see you guys in person sometime soon as well
0: well that's all the time we have for this week huge thanks for toms for being our guest Thanks for listening, and please give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show was a Bella News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne, and this episode was edited by Tim Moser. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens. A few weeks
2: ago, we spoke to Hannah Grant and asked you to share your favorite
0: post-ride meal. Jan Flois says his favorite dish is risotto that was made before the ride or some vulgar salad with potatoes, which Google says is translated as lamb's lettuce. Have you ever heard of that one?
2: Well, I have to be perfectly honest. No, I haven't heard of that one, but I will Google it ASAP. Delving into some pro Peloton story, Gary Jorgen said, This reminds me of the time Indurain bonked on a climb, trying for his fifth Tour de France, lost big time to Reese. He went directly to the bus and ate an entire bag of Oreos. So I heard. What is the
0: weirdest thing you have seen a pro eat? Well, I'll jump in there and say the weirdest thing that I ate when I had those bonkish feelings is I remember one year I stopped when we were descending down uh, one of the big climbs, maybe it was Alpe d'Huez, and there was a dirty, stinky sausage vendor, and I traded my cap for one of those dirty sausages on on the top of the mountain. That was probably not the best recovery food, Jens. And Bob from McVille passed on some love to Hannah, adding, I had to dig up the Amazon Prime series after this interview. Every episode makes me hungry. That's a great review. That episode is available wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Now, this week, Tom's shared that he is a secret ice hockey player.
2: We'd love you to share with us which other sport pro cyclists would star in or give us your feedback on this episode.
0: And we'll be back next week with another top guest on Bobby and Jens.